Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Good morning once again. Welcome to Crossroads Church. Thank you for coming and being a part of our uh, baptism service. Um, And you caught us right in the middle, almost uh, to the end of a series that uh, we have been going through for the last five weeks called Beginning of the End Times. A couple of weeks ago, I handed out, and you can, if you don't have one with you, I'd grab one on your way out. They're on the uh, counter as you're uh, leaving. But it's a timeline, and the timeline starts with creation and goes all the way through to the time when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Today, we are in the middle of the tribulation, and what I'd want to remind you is two weeks ago, I preached on this concept called the rapture. Rapture is probably the most preposterous event that you've ever heard of, and that is where God comes back and calls his church, his bride home, and we will be taken supernaturally out of this world. When that happens, the restrainer stops restraining. If you think it's bad today, In 2021, uh, it's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. Then I think uh, if you go into Ezekiel 38, they talk about a conflict where a couple of nations come up against Israel. Uh, Tonight in our going deeper at 5 o'clock, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the different countries that are represented. And I think you'll find it amazing that something that was written almost 3,000 years ago is predicting what's going to happen possibly next week. So this tribulation period that we're talking about now is broken up into two. It's a seven-year period of three and a half years and three and a half years. And um, the second portion of that three and a half years is what Jesus Christ himself called the Great Tribulation. Elsewhere in the Bible, you hear it referred to as the day of God's wrath. And so today, that's what I want to share with you. This is not a light message, but it is one that we should all be faithful to hear and take to heart. Anytime I talk about the wrath of God, I always like to uh, put a little context. And, And the context is this. There is a difference between the passive wrath of God and the active wrath of God. I just want you to know you have never seen the active wrath of God in your lifetime. I have never seen the active wrath of God in my lifetime. But I doubt that there's anyone here, there's anyone watching online today that has not encountered the passive wrath of God. The way that I would describe the passive wrath of God is this. It uh, consists in letting us experience the consequences of the choices that we make. Romans 1 says this three different times. In verse 24, he said, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity. In verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passion. 
And then in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. After Adam and Eve sinned, God punished them by casting them out of his presence, out of the garden. But see, the reality is this. They had already hidden from God's presence. If you read the story, you remember that. Long before God banished them, they were hiding from God. God merely confirmed their decision. That is what the passive wrath of God looks like. He lets us do what we choose to do, but he lets us face the consequences on our own. And many times these are painful consequences. But the beauty of the painful consequences are when we sin is that we can actually see and appreciate God's mercy. And it's God's mercy that can wake us up. You know, a lot of times we might think when it comes to a husband and a wife, if one of them is caught in an affair, that that's God's judgment. I don't think that. As a matter of fact, I'd argue the opposite. That might be God's mercy. God's judgment is when they get away with it because they have to live with that, and they'll live with that into eternity. We see a great example of the act of wrath of God in Egypt. In Exodus, uh, you may be familiar with the ten plagues that came upon Um, Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. And God continued to judge Pharaoh each time that Pharaoh hardened his heart. As a matter of fact, if you read this story, it says that God allowed Pharaoh's heart to continue to harden. And I think far too often that Christians find God's wrath as a troubling concept. I mean, we want to quote the verses that say God is love. We want to quote Jesus when he says, by this you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. There's probably no doctrine which would most of us would be more willing to erase out of Scripture if we could than the wrath of God. But the reality is this, that that's not our decision. The reality is this, that that's not our call to make. I said this last week, I'll say it again, and I hope that this is a message that you'll understand, that you'll never ever experience the wrath of God until you first reject the mercy of God. And the truth of the matter is many people go through life rejecting that mercy, rejecting that grace. John 3.36 says these words, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Zephaniah in chapter 3 speaks to the wrath of God, and he says, Therefore, wait ye upon me, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel, until the day that I rise up to the prey. And he's not talking about praying on his hands and knees, he's talking about those that come against him. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. What is it that God is jealous of? It's when we serve other gods, when we run after idols. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. 
And today I'll continue and I start the second half of the Great Tribulation. Last week I talked about the seven seals. If you are familiar with the book of Revelation, the number seven comes up a lot, almost in everything. And the more you look, the more you see the number seven. And so the seven seals are what started this time of period called the Tribulation. We saw last week where the Antichrist was released, where wars came onto this earth, where famine swept across the, 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 the entire world, and where pestilence was something that went rampant, that, that took away a fourth of the population of the earth. One thing to remember about this time period is that the restrainer stops restraining. We, we miss that many times, and we don't appreciate what the Holy Spirit does in keeping evil from being as bad as evil can get. But one day, that won't be the case. And one day, we will appreciate exactly what the Holy Spirit has been doing. Today, we start in the seven trumpets. These seven trumpets are a prelude to God's wrath. This isn't God's wrath. And then I'll conclude today with the seven bowls of judgment, and this is what God's wrath looks like. In Revelation chapter 8, and I'm going to start reading in verse 6, in the first trumpet, it says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The food sources that we count on, one-third of them are gone. You ask, do, do you think that, that the Bible really means hail and fire mixed with blood? Yes, I do. I don't think that that is an allegory. I don't think that that is a hypothetical. I don't think that is trying to embellish. I think this is exactly what... God is going to do. Continue reading in verse 8. And the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, this was a meteor, burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. In 2020, there were 56,000 ships registered. That means 17,000 will be destroyed in one event. We see that the first trumpet blows that attack the, the food source on the earth. And if, if we lost all of our ability to farm or at least one-third of that ability taken from us, where would we go? Well, the sea is a great place to catch some good food. And then in this second trumpet, that is taken away. Continuing on in... Chapter 8 and verse 10 said, The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven. Now, this isn't a literal star that you go out and you look at in the constellation tonight. This is referring to an angel. If I had 20 minutes, I could explain all that to you, but take my word for it that this is, a, this is not a, a star like you think of. Blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs. Of the water. So we see the food sources attacked in the first trumpet, the salt water attacked in the second trumpet, and here in the third trumpet, we see the fresh water 
being destroyed. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and the people died from the water because it had been made bitter. I don't know if, if you like trivia or not, but the Russian word for Wormwood is Chernobyl. I don't think that that was this trumpet. There's some theologians that believe that. So the food is gone. The food in the sea is gone. And then the food in the lakes and the rivers have been contaminated. Let's go to the fourth trumpet in verse 12. Chapter 8 of Revelation. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might keep them, be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. This concludes the judgment of thirds. You've seen a third of the sea, a third of the land, a third of the fresh water, and now you see a third of the heavens affected. What does that look like? I don't understand, but here's what I can tell you is that it's going to have a major impact on this earth. When the lunar cycle gets adjusted, when the solar system uh, gets changed like this, it will affect everybody on this planet. And then I looked in verse 13 and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is what is referred to as the three woes. Fifth trumpet introduces us to the first one. In chapter 9 and verse 1, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star. Again, this is not a star. This is an angel or a former angel. Fallen from heaven to earth. And if you notice that fallen is a past tense. It's not that John is observing that happen. He's recognizing that this star, this angel had fallen earlier. We believe this is Satan himself. And he, Satan, was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, a lot of people have a very big misconception when it comes to Satan. They think that Satan uh, lives down in hell and he's down there tormenting people. Satan has not gone there yet. It's reserved for him one day. And so as this trumpet is blown, he is given a um, key to the bottomless pit. And here's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 2. It says that he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. When you're reading a revelation, there are times when it's very clear that it's referring to the item that it, it names, and then there are times where it's very evident that it is referring to something that looks like or similar to. Could, if, if you can just imagine John seeing this and trying to describe it, in AD 90 vernacular. And that's what he's doing here. And so he uses this word, like the power of scorpions of the earth. So these were not actual locusts. They looked like, they acted like locusts. In verse 4 it says, They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plants or any tree, but only those 
people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. We read about those last week. They're the 144,000 witnesses, evangelists that will cover this globe sharing the message of God. Verse 5, these locusts were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Verse 7, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. If I had no other information than that to go on, I would immediately think of helicopters going to, to battle. Is this helicopters? I don't think so. I think that this is something that has been in store in the bottomless pit waiting for this time. Verse 10, they have tails and sting like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. In verse 11, they have as king over them. This is why we know this isn't really locusts because Proverbs 30 tells us that the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in formation. And so here in uh, Revelation, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. That's why the key was given to him to release the king of these locusts. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, it is called Apollyon. Verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. The first woe is that. It's these likest-like creatures that have the ability to, to, for five months, have their reign on this earth on all of those who have not taken the name of Jesus Christ. Continuing to the sixth trumpet, Revelation 9, verse 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard the voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Folks, I want you to understand what that verse tells us is that God does exactly what he intends to do, exactly when he intends to do it. He doesn't care what our opinion is. He doesn't matter to him what the naysayers and the scoffers and those who are his enemy. God is going to do exactly what he needs to do when he is determined to do it. And they were released to kill a third of mankind. If you're keeping track of with math right now, there is approximately 8 billion people on this earth. I think it's 7.9 right now. Since I'm doing public math, we know that one-fourth of those were already previously destroyed. That takes us down to 6 billion. This kills one-third of mankind, so one-third of the 6 billion will leave 4 billion left on this earth. Verse 16, the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. I'll make it easy for you. That's 200 million. When this was written in AD 90, the entire earth's population was about 300 million. 
and they saw this army of 200 million men. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols. I've told you that things are going to change when the rapture happens, when the church is taken off of this earth, when the restrainer no longer restrains. Evil is going to walk across the face of this earth in a very bad way. And the worship of demons and idols is going to be the religion of that day. You've heard me refer to the fact that the uh, Antichrist is going to come onto the scene and he is going to develop a one world religion. And many of us wonder, well, is it Catholicism? Is it uh, Protestantism? Is it uh, Islam? I think that it's actually Satanism. And when that starts off, they'll have no ideal when it culminates at the halfway point of this time called the tribulation, they will be worshiping Satan himself. In verse 20, it continues, and worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality. If you go back into the, the trumpets, the, the war horse that was released, the red horse. And it was not so much nation against nation warring, it was people against people, brother against brother, father against son, sister against sister, murdering each other. That's what it says. And here, with all of this going on, they don't repent of that. They don't repent of the murders. They don't repent of the witchcraft. They don't repent of the sexual immorality. Well, let's continue. As we go through the seven seals, we saw between the sixth and seventh seal, there was a pause. Here, between the sixth and seventh trumpet, there is a pause. It actually takes up Revelation 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. I'm not going to do that to you today. I've covered many of those. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to keep us here till nine o'clock, but let me just briefly share with you. In chapter 10, it's what we call the mystery scroll. This is um, uh, one that John got to see and was told you can't tell anyone about this. And then in chapter 11, I introduced you last week to the two witnesses. These are two men who will proclaim the gospel message. They will complain or they will proclaim the day of wrath that is coming. And these two witnesses one day will be killed in front of everybody and left in the streets to die or lay there for three and a half days. And at the end of the three and a half days, God miraculously brings them back to life and takes them into heaven. Now, I'm not talking about an Avengers movie, folks. I'm not talking about something that Hollywood made up, but it's crazy that it's easier for many people to believe what they see on the silver screen than what we read 
in God's word. Yet this is what's coming with those two witnesses. Chapter 12, chapter 12 is what I would call the Cliff Notes version of the earth. I would encourage you to read that chapter. And what you will see is you will see Satan from the Garden of Eden seeking to destroy the, the one that God was going to raise up to, to crush him. And yet he is foiled time after time. In chapter 13, um, last week I introduced you to the unholy trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I baptized six individuals in that name. Satan himself will come with his own unholy trinity, and he considers himself the Father. He will have the Antichrist that takes the role of Jesus Christ, and he will have the false prophet who will take the role on of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it is not even a good imitation. And it's a trinity that only has seven years. And then in chapter 14, we see the victory for the 144,000 witnesses. Matter of fact, their victory says that they, um, there are so many people who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior because of their witness, it can't even be numbered. My guess is that it's probably around a billion people. A, a revival like this earth has never seen before. Our church has experienced revival. This past spring, uh, we saw the majority of those 48 people rededicate or come to know the Lord as their Savior. That's not happening in every church in America right now. But the revival that is coming is going to be amazing. Incredible. Jump with me back to Revelation chapter 11 and tucked right in there in verses 15 through 19 is the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake and heavy hail. That completes these seven trumpets. They seem to be pretty bad on the face value. But here's what I would tell you is you haven't seen anything yet. Turn over to Revelation chapter 15 and let me introduce you to the seven bowls of God's wrath. I don't know if you've ever transported anything in a bowl. But if you don't have a lid on it, it it's hard. It's not a bucket, it's a bowl. I think of a punch bowl and, and trying to move it just from a kitchen into the, the dining room. I inevitably probably spill. My, my guess is that this what it, it looked like as each of these angels were given this bowl of God's wrath. That as they moved, it was probably sloshing all over. In verse 1 of chapter 15, then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be 
a sea of glass mingled with fire. Does that mean it was a sea of glass mingled with fire? No, it appeared to be. That's his best description of what it looked like. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Now, I want to just do one correction. There are a lot of people who think that when we um, enter into afterlife, we sit on clouds and we play a harp all day. Uh, That's not what's going to happen. But this verse probably is one of those verses that leads people to believe that we're going to be walking around with harps. These people who have these harps were those who lost their life during the tribulation because they would not reject the name of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Now, I think if we would all have a moment of candor and be honest with ourselves, that when we look at earth, when we look at the way things are going in your life, when you look around you, you probably wonder, where is God sometimes? When life throws its best at you, when the people you love the most walk out on you, it's easy to wonder, Where is God? Is he real? Is he just? But here we get to travel in time and hear from those who gave their life for his name and they proclaim that he is. Verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked... And the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were clothed in pure white, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Here is what the wrath of God looks like. In verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Ladies and gentlemen, these people who took the mark of the beast for comfort, they took the mark of the beast for ease, they took the mark of the beast to make life better for themselves. When this bowl of wrath is poured out, I believe that mark, wherever, whether it's in the forehead or on the right hand, that something in it is not going to respond well, and it will create sores and boils on them that will last. Continuing in verse 3, And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And everything, or every living thing, died that was in the sea. Now, 
We have a house on a little lake, and every once in a while, the, the lake turns over. And when that happens, the oxygen that's in there isn't there. It's, it's all used up, and all of the fish in the lake, or practically all of the fish in the, the lake, die. And they're just floating on this. Could you imagine what that would be like when you have that happen into the the bodies of water we call oceans, the smell that will perpetuate itself over this entire planet, it's not going to be good. We see the third bowl in Revelation 16, verses 4, and the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. You don't hear too much about this. Matter of fact, if you, you age yourself with me, um, it's not the Ozzy Osbourne type of theatrics with blood, where he bit the head off of a bat and sprinkled the, the people at the concert. When the Holy Spirit is removed, when the restrainer who now restrains is taken out of this world, things are going to change. And, you're, and folks, I know this is something that is hard for us to, to fathom, let alone believe. But when that time comes, when they kill people in the name of Jesus, they're going to take their blood and drink it. If you wonder why in the world does he keep doing this to the water, turn it into blood, it's because these people thirsted after the blood of the saints. And one day, he'll give them exactly what they wanted. In verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, the God, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth bowl. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Now, folks, it's hot right now. Yesterday was a very hot day. Matter of fact, some might say it's been miserable with the humidity. Do I have a witness? Amen. Amen. That's not what he's talking about here. Matter of fact, Isaiah 30, 26 says there's coming a day when the sun will burn seven times its normal. That is this day. That is when this bowl is poured out. In the Revelation record, a, a guy by the name of Morris, who was a civil engineer, he looked at these different judgments on the earth and what impact they would have. And he said, if this were to happen, if the sun were just to raise its temperature seven times, it would melt all of the Arctic ice that we know of. You've heard about global warming. Folks, they're right. It's coming one day. But it's coming not because of us using carbon emission. It's coming because the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. And, and let me just help you understand, if all of the ice were to be melted, it would cause the sea level to rise 200 feet. Now, to us living in Illinois, that doesn't seem to be a big problem. But here's what we know. If there was only a three-foot rise in the sea level, New York would be underwater. Boston, Miami, Charleston, and New Orleans. With 200 feet rise in the sea level, 
Illinois would be oceanfront property. We can't even fathom the state of Florida being underwater, but it's coming one day. And it's not just the state of Florida. You could basically go in inland for hundreds of miles all around our country, and it will be devastated. Continuing on in verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed on their tongues in anguish. In verse 11, it says, And they cursed God, the God of heaven, for their pain and their sores. And here's maybe the saddest thing about this. They did not repent of their deeds. See, the Holy Spirit's no longer tugging on their heart, and all they have is anger for all the pain and suffering that they got because they chose that. The sixth bowl in verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and it was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, this unholy trinity, three unclean spirits like frogs. Does that mean they were frogs? No, they look like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. And then there's this parenthetical statement. And what this means is it could be taken out and... But it's a flashback because in verse 15, it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. We've read that. I've preached that to you for the last five weeks. Keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now, you know, I know when we read that and we think about that, we literally think of like a TV show that follows people around that are naked. This is not what the Bible is saying. It's talking about going out with your underwear on. I remember in Afghanistan when things would get heated up, usually around the time of a full moon, uh, we would sleep in our clothes. And, and, and for me, that's weird. I don't like sleeping with socks on, okay? And yet, because of the rocket attacks, because of the mortar attacks, we wanted, I wanted to be able to get into my boots quickly and to get the battle rattle on very fast and get into the bunker when that happened. And what Jesus is telling us is that there is coming a day when an attack is coming on this earth. But he's given us a way out. And we, if we'll take the way out, we won't get exposed. If we don't, it'll be too late. In verse 16, and they assembled them at the place in Hebrew, maybe the most famous place in all of the Bible called Armageddon. Mount Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo. Many nations have come into this valley and warred. If you remember the story in the Bible about Gideon who took 300 men and he went up against an army of 180,000, this was in the Valley of Megiddo. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story that happens at Armageddon. In the final, the bowl of God's wrath, in verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. 
This number of seven that you see over and over again in the book of Revelation is the number of completeness. Verse 18, And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. If you do research and you just look at the time of the flood, the the earthquakes that happened at that time moved continents, entire continents. A fourth and a third of continents fell into the ocean. And yet there's coming a day when the seventh bowl is poured upon this earth that the earthquake that happens is far greater than anything that the Richter scale has ever measured. Here's how bad it is. In 19, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And listen to this in verse 20. This is just amazing. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. It's hard to fathom that. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. Why would God send hailstones 100 pounds onto this earth? Do you know what the punishment for blasphemy was? It was stoning. When Jesus declared himself to be God, what did the religious people of his day do? They picked up stones to stone him. And one day, This is the third time, if you read the the last three bowls of God wrath, each time they blaspheme, they curse God. Folks, we see this. You, You work with people who curse God like it's just part of their vocabulary. There's probably sometimes been a time in your life where you wanted to. But here, when they face the wrath of God, people are going to shake their hands and point their finger at the one who caused it. And I want to remind you again, there's a big difference between the passive wrath of God and the active wrath of God. We experience the passive wrath of God. Because God is bad? No, because we are. And we we make bad decisions. But the reality is this, one day his passive wrath is going to be behind and the only thing that this earth has to face is the active wrath of God. The question I leave you with today is this, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? And I would just tell you this, I would not listen to those around you that mock and ridicule those who find themselves in church on every Sunday. And, and, and let me say that it's not coming to church every Sunday that gets us saved. It's not getting in the baptistry and getting wet that gets us saved. It's when something happens in our heart, when we accept what God did for us. You see, I think C.S. Lewis nailed it when it comes to this topic of the wrath of God. He said, in the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. He says, what are you asking God to do? 
to wipe out their past sins at all costs, to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help. I came across uh, studying for this this week. I came across a teacher who, who taught just that, that it doesn't matter what you do here on this earth, one day God is going to just wipe it all away. Folks, that's not what God's word says. But he asked this question. Give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty, offering every miraculous help. And the answer is this. He's done that and he did it on Calvary. Do we want God to forgive them? He wants to, but yet they refuse. To leave them alone and act like nothing happened, I'm afraid that's precisely what God does. But when God leaves us alone and lets us act like nothing ever happened, one day we have to pay the price. In the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. Romans 5, 6 through 10 says these words. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Friends, you are going to hear people criticize God, criticize Christ, criticize you if you bring up his name. But the reality is this, that Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for those who go to church every week. He didn't die for those who live a, a moral life. He died for the ungodly. And Romans continues, very rarely will one die for a righteous person. But for God, he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Folks, that is a powerful message. That's a message why people got into the water and got baptized. What they were saying is, this is what's happened inside my heart. Just like Jesus died and was put into the ground, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I accepted what Jesus... Did you hear me ask that question? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And everyone said, yes. And then they demonstrated by going down under the water and then coming back out. Just like Jesus Christ went into the grave and three days later, he came out. Now let me share with you the saddest words in the Bible. They're found in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Verse 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, And on that day, there's a day coming, folks, that he's referring to. He's not just referring to an abstract time in the future. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And folks, doing those works in the name of Jesus isn't what will get you into heaven. Because this is what Jesus says, that he will respond to those who didn't take of the free gift. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Worship team, if you'll come forward. Church, let me just share with you this. 
I talked to you last week about this concept of lawlessness. It says that when he that is restraining is taken away, the lawless one will come. We struggle with the law. I struggle with the law when I'm in my vehicle. You you all have heard me confess that enough. We struggle with the law when it comes to us. And yet, at some point in the future, this earth will declare themselves to be lawless. They will declare themselves to be different, that they don't, they're not accountable to what God's word says. And those are the people. These are good people. These are people who I think mean well. These are people who are in the church. These are people who are busy in the name of God. And yet they've never had a heart transplant. They're sick and they don't even know it. And one day, they're going to hear these words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is not an easy message to give. This is not the one that, knowing that we have a lot here for baptism, that I want to preach. But this is one we have to hear. Because one day, every one of us will have to give an account of ourselves. And, and you being as best you can be, and if you're a guy, you take everything into your own hands and you solve every problem. But one day, there's going to be a problem that we can't solve. What are we going to do? Because here's the reality. On that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, I've shared this with you many times. Visitors, I want to share it with you. One day, this heart's going to stop beating. This body is going to get laid in a casket and eventually into a grave. But the person who I am, the soul that's attached to this body, will live forever. And see, I have this confidence that when I get absent from this body, I will be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I don't get too upset about all the things that are going on. I I get frustrated. I get heartbroken looking at the division that's happening in our country, happening in our town, happening in our households. But here's what I know. One day, one day I will gladly fall on my knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I've dedicated my life to doing that. And my question to you, because you're going to do it. The question is, are you going to do it too late? 
Are you going to do it after your heart stops beating? Are you going to do it after your soul separates from your body? Ladies and gentlemen, most people get church and religion messed up. And, and that's why you'll hear us make this statement. We're not religious. We have a relationship with Jesus. Here's my question to you. If you walked into these doors today and you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you while the worship team is singing that you pull out one of those orange cards in front of you. Those are decision cards. And on the back, it talks about what each of us that claims the name of Jesus has done. And that was, A, we admitted that we're a sinner. I think that that's pretty easy. If I went around and asked, hey, have you ever done anything wrong? Look, I know I have. And then the second thing is the B. We call these the ABCs. The B is this, to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That's, a, that's hard for some people. It's easy for them to believe that he's a good guy in this book called the Bible. But the reality is he was the son of God. He gave up his throne in heaven. He came down. He was born. He grew just like each of us. And he lived a perfect life. And he didn't do that for himself. He did it for a guy named Ronnie Tabor. He did it for a guy or a gal and you put your name in there but it doesn't matter if he did this and you do nothing with it make a decision and that's what the c is to confess romans 10 8 and 9 and 10 say it this way that if you'll confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved. Stand with me. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for those seven precious souls who made it public what, the, what has happened in their heart. God, I ask that those that are here that have yet to do that, Lord, and your Holy Spirit has been tugging on them. I pray, God, that they would listen. God, that they would pull the card out, that they would fill it out, and they would make that decision to claim you as their Savior. That they would give up on their efforts to, to be perfect, to be good, to get by, and they would fall on your mercy. God, hearing about your wrath is not what we want to celebrate, Lord. We want to celebrate the grace and mercy. And I pray that because of today, because of your message, that there are more who will claim the name of Jesus and more who will get into the baptistry and let the world know what's happened inside their hearts. Hear our voices as we sing praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.